Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. The juxtaposition of thinking that I was fundamentally flawed and that I sucked, trying to prove to my mom that I was okay, and uh, also having some talents and skills meant two things. It meant that I was successful in my career, and that I kept self-sabotaging and trashing my life. My guest today is named Kellen Flukiger. He is a fellow podcaster, author, and coach. Welcome to the show, Kellen. Hi, I'm grateful to be here on the podcast with Brett. And the first thing I want to do, and I want it on the recording, is a big shout out to Brett. Because I love people that are putting their heart and soul into adding good to the world. Like we all add carbon dioxide just by being. But Brett has made a choice to do the labor of love that is a podcast to lift and bless the hearts of those that he serves. I love that. And I want to honor you on your own show. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. You are, you're not lying, though. It, it's a lot of work to do a podcast. It is a screaming amount of work. And... I do all, because I've owned a studio for a long time, I do all my own posts and put music and I had somebody else narrate the intro and outro and everything else. And you might do that too, but it is a lot of work. So I just want to honor your effort to help people and to add good to the world. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. And, and let's just start off, tell, tell the listeners about your show. So I have a podcast too, and it's funny how that started two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. And you said you're out uh, two years too. In March, I think of 2020, when the you know, lockdowns were first starting and we were looking at the cases of COVID in Italy and maybe for five minutes, we all thought, oh crap, this is Armageddon or something. Somebody called my wife, who's my business partner, and that's part of the story that I'll tell how that happened. But anyway, um, and asked her if I had a podcast because they knew I did a lot of motivational speaking and all that kind of stuff. And we didn't, but she wisely said, yes. And she came downstairs and said, we have a podcast. So I decided, okay, cool. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do a daily short podcast. And so I have one. It's called Your Ultimate Life. And the premise is how to build a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with your divine gifts. So Your Ultimate Life uh, is on all the regular places that you find your podcast, 15 minutes a day. And it is encouraging and helping and hoping you will create your ultimate life. So thank you for asking. Mm, I love that, man. I love the the concept behind it. The the short bite-sized pieces. I think that's great. That's part of the reason I try to keep mine about 30 minutes. Cause I feel like beyond that, it's hard to keep people's attention span for that long of a time. It is. And I'll try to do everything I can to make sure they stay right to the last <laughs> drop. 
Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show today. It's always good to chat with a fellow podcaster, talk gear, all that kind of nerdy stuff that that the listeners probably don't care about, but it's great to have that connection. (laughs) Yes, sir. Well, we did. We talked about mics and mixers and all that jazz. So I was actually, I was listening to another podcast the other day and and they kind of went off on a tangent and they were talking gear and they talked for about five minutes and they're like, we need to get back to the show. Nobody cares. And I was like, no, I want to hear more. (laughs) don't stop right well how did you get to where you are today you've mentioned that you have a recording studio you started the podcast about the same time i started my podcast how did you get to where you are what made you decide to start a podcast get into motivational speaking well i have a long and very complicated history it starts when i was a kid like most of our messes do i was raised in a very religious fanatic sort of home with two parents but my Mom was young when she got married. She didn't know anything about raising kids. And her view of discipline today would be felony child abuse. And I used to get the crap beat out of me regularly. And I mean that very seriously. I remember wanting to run away a lot. I remember wishing I would die during the beatings because that was the only way I could imagine she would be held to account or get in trouble. And it was all in the name of, you know, you'll thank me later, making me be a certain way, right? And Um, that just went on for my whole childhood. And when I was in high school, even I remember, and I was old enough to have, you know, fended for myself physically big enough, but I was too terrified. I remember getting dressed last in the locker room at high school, even because I didn't want people to see I was black and blue because I was ashamed. So anyway, what that did for me is it left me believing to the core of my soul that I sucked, that I was never going to be okay. And that I needed to somehow prove to my mom that I was okay. You'd think, I left home at 17, you'd think that when you leave, that that would somehow, you'd, you'd write, be able to write your own ship. Part of the problem was we were also indoctrinated with the idea that all this stuff is private, you don't talk to anybody and so forth. So I never talked to anyone about the self-loathing and depression that I literally lived with. I was blessed with brains. So I thought, well, maybe if I, you know, get, make money and do stuff, I'll be okay. And The juxtaposition of thinking that I was fundamentally flawed and that I sucked, trying to prove to my mom that I was okay, and uh, also having some talents and skills meant two things. It meant that I was successful in my career and that I kept self-sabotaging and trashing my life and career things over and over again. So I uh, achieved financial success and then trashed it. I achieved relationship success and got married and then trashed it. So I probably got hired and fired or asked to resign. It's what happens when you're in high enough positions. You don't get fired. (laughs) A a resignation is arranged. I was married and divorced three times. I turned to substances like often happens in depression. I had long stints of alcohol and drug abuse. My drug of choice at the worst time was cocaine. and I was making so much money that my $3,000 a week cocaine habit didn't matter. And I'm a high-functioning addict, and I was, you know, I can put on the three-piece Armani and go do battle and do whatever, and it was a disaster. I, you know, failed at three relationships. I'm sure I was a disaster as a partner. I tried, but I never got any help. I ended up attracting broken people. I didn't know what brokenness meant. Like one of them was raised by an alcoholic stepdad. One woman, her mom committed suicide when she was 12. She was lied to about it till she was 21. 
And then when she finally found out that trashed her life for a while, you know, I just, that's who I attracted in my life. I didn't understand anything about what that kind of stuff did to people. And I had no idea what my own dysfunctionality was, except that it was manifesting in these, this, this self-loathing that came out in drugs and the need to trash relationships and trash uh, opportunities that I kept, I kept creating. So that roller coaster, I've told it short so that we can get to the recovery part, but that roller coaster was my life for 35 years. From the time I was 17 when I left home until I was 52. So at 52 in August of 2007, a divine intervention happened that I'll describe. It was an invitation to change. At that time, I was single again for the third time. I had four of my 10 children living with me who were teenagers. Three were grown up and married and three were, I hate to say this, but with one of my exes. Sounds gross and it is. But anyway, and I was a $3,000 a week cocaine addict making enough money that that didn't matter. So that was Kellen in August of 2007 at 52, having lived that ridiculous roller coaster of madness for 35 years. In, uh, on, on a Friday in August of 2007, I came home from work, uh, getting ready to go out party for the weekend. Uh, like I said, I had four kids at home. They were all teenagers and, you know, in college and later in high school, so they take care of themselves. Not really, but that was my story. So I was going to go out and party for the weekend. That would have been until, I don't know, Monday, maybe Tuesday. And for some reason, just before I got ready to go out, I had this urge to turn on the television. Now, that sounds like nothing, except I didn't watch TV. And when I went to do it, I realized I didn't know how to turn on the TV. I picked up the remote and looked at it. And I'd had, you know, electronics guys come and install all the cool stuff, big this and that. But I realized, holy crap, I don't know how to do this. So I asked one of my kids to turn it on. And my 16-year-old daughter, you know, punched a few buttons, turned it on, threw the remote at me, a dipweed, and left the room. <clears throat> and it landed on a, a program I'd never heard of, but I'd never heard of any of them because I literally didn't watch TV. And it was titled Intervention. Now, those of you who, you know, it's a reality TV show about families who stage interventions for broken family members. And the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I watched about 10 minutes of this and thought, yeah, I'm not watching this crap. So I turned it off and went and did a few more things and was ready to go out. And I felt compelled to turn the TV back on. So I did. And this time I knew how. So I turned it on and that program started over. And no, I don't have a DVR and no, it wasn't on the schedule and no, it can't do that. I get it, but it did. So I thought, oh, crap. I guess I'm supposed to watch this. So I did. And it went poorly. The guy yelled at his family and didn't help, accept any help and stomped out and all the bad stuff. But it freaked me out enough that I didn't go out. Instead, I went to bed. When I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere that felt out of body. I was in a, a thing that felt like a theater. It's dark. And there was a stage thing in front. And the scenes of my life played very slowly, focused on suffering. It started from my younger days, all the suffering that had been inflicted on me, and then up through now, or then, all the suffering I had inflicted on others because of my habits and my craziness and the drugs and the failed relationships and all that stuff. And I have never experienced 
I, I have no language to describe the intensity of grief and suffering that played through for a long, long time. After a period of time, a voice said very clearly, it is enough. And I woke up and the sun was shining in my window, which was weird because the windows faced west. And I got up and realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for almost 18 hours. And I got up and thought, okay, I've been invited to change. I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea where to start. But I know this other stuff is done. So I threw away uh, about $1,000 worth of stuff I had laying around, because I always had it, and quit. Cold turkey, straight up, one day to the next, never touched it again. That was it. And that was the first half, and that got me sober, but it did nothing yet to address the self-loathing, which was the real underlying addiction, that got me to where I was. That happened two weeks later. So two weeks later, <clears throat> I, I didn't quit my work. I knew I had to leave and change everything in my life, but it was like, I don't know how to do this. So one of the things that was part of my work was I used to get free stuff because I had a high ranking position and I'd get free tickets to this and free expensive bottles of that. And because I made big decisions that affected other companies. And so their CEO, you know, they'd give me free stuff. People wanted to be nice to Kellen, right? So one of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see a concert by Yo-Yo Ma. Now, if you know classical music, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. But in the classical world, that's like, oh, you know. So I thought, wow, it'd be a real shame to waste this ticket. So I asked in the groups that I managed, I said, um, who, who likes classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. I said, okay, fine. Have I ever given you anything before? And she said, uh, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket and we met at the venue and the concert was spectacular. And you got to remember that I'm two weeks now, stone cold sober. Halfway through the concert, I had this feeling that felt, I felt familiar from two weeks before. And this voice in my head said, you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're insane. Uh, I've screwed that up three times officially with some other awful messes in between. And I don't even know her. So, yeah, that's not happening. Later that night, we were backstage because, of course, they were backstage passes. And the feeling came back and the voice said, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. And I thought, yeah, she can have me arrested for harassment. I mean, she works in one of my groups and like, this is not happening. You can't. No, no. But you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? Like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? But she didn't call the cops, uh, which was, I was grateful for. Within two weeks after that, she had her own set of experiences and she walked away from a very nice career that she had. And I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts and we sort of walked off into the sunset together. And three months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Now, besides that being a ridiculous story, the reason it's so important is because she was the angel that was sent to help me deal with the depression and self-loathing. She was, we didn't even really know each other. 
but she was unflagging in her support. I mean, everybody in the office knew I was a drug addict. They didn't know, but they knew, you know, rumors and stuff. She was invincible in her support, finding me people to talk to and supportive, not letting me live in old stories. And just, you know, the first three or four years were a lot of work about learning how to be a person and learning how to tell the truth, which I never had to do. I was a pathological liar to protect myself as a kid. And I just created reality as I went along. And every addict knows that story. So I had to learn how to be a person. I learned how to, how to, how to have a friend, how to be a friend, how to tell the truth, how to connect with how reality is, all that stuff. And she was that. And so that was a divine invitation. I call it that rather than an intervention, because there are always invitations. I could have said no. I could have done a lot of stuff. So could have she. And that was what the start of it was. And the work in the last 14 years since that happened has been tremendous. Uh, since then, I've written 16 books. I've created a coaching practice with clients around the world. And I'm on one single mission, and that is my commitment for 2022 is to help 10 million people discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts. So that's the short version of the story. That is, that's insane, man. That sounds like something out of a movie. Like, that's, that's just unbelievable, all the different elements. Oh, I didn't tell you the best part. My wife's, my wife's name is Joy. Nice. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Wow. Wow. So that's how I got where I am today. And I've learned a lot of stuff. I mean, I started late, 52 when that happened, and I'm 66 today and a half, roughly. And the, the key is this. Every single one of us receives those invitations, those yearnings, those feelings that we could or maybe should be doing something more, something different change something. We have those urges. You know, those are part of who we are. We're divinely created. We're not accidents. And we so much of the time live far below our opportunities. We settle for crumbs. And I did for a long time. And despite the fact that I made a lot of money and had a lot of stuff, I was miserable, obviously, because happy people don't behave like I was behaving. And so Learning to hear and make a choice to say yes to those invitations, even though, like me, I, I, I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I didn't have any idea, I, no idea at all. I just quit, walked away. Okay, here we are. Now what? Kind of thing. And with a woman I didn't know very well, who didn't know me, who'd felt that way, and we thought, okay, how do we invent life from here? But it came from saying yes. And most invitations don't necessarily involve such silly, dramatic, ridiculous things at once. They can be done a little at a time, but it starts with a choice to say yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I'd, I'd be curious to know, you know, you've, you've been in recovery for a little while now. How is the relationship with your kids? Have you been able to, to build that back? Do they trust you again? What does that, what does that look like? So I have 10 kids and half of them still don't talk to me uh, because of the three divorces and the drugs and all the kind of stuff. 
there was a lot of strain and difficulty. Two of the three divorces were very messy. One of them, one of the women was an attorney and she did everything she could to, you know, destroy my life and make me broke and do everything she could in that regard because she was hurting. Another one accused me of all kinds of impropriety with the children, got social services and stuff involved, and none of it was true. And she eventually lost both physical and legal custody of all the kids because she said all that stuff and dragged us both, everybody, through two years of, of madness before, you know, the truth of all things came out. And so all of that has caused untold damage and the kids are struggling, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are very much struggling in their own lives because those kinds of difficulties leave scars. And so some of them still blame me for everything that's wrong in their lives and enjoy having a scapegoat, even though uh, I have not only been sober for a long time, but have completely changed who I'm being in the world. I've written books about it. Uh, I wrote finally my own part of my own story, Tightrope of Depression, my journey from darkness, despair, and death to light, love, and life. And then I wrote the sequel to that. And you know, a bunch of other self-help books and stuff all done with the idea of helping people make the choice. So it's a good question. It's a fabulous opportunity still for me. I've got a lot of opportunity in front of me, but I hold no negativity at all. I live in a place of complete love and forgiveness. And I know, like I breathe air, that there will come a day. I, I really do hope so, man. So you, you mentioned that your goal for 2022 is to reach 10 million people. So what's the plan to, to reach 10 million people? You're part of it. So I'm doing a lot of things. I have the podcast that I mentioned. I have a YouTube channel. Uh, I just finished a book last December called Forgiveness, A Journey of Courage to a Place of Freedom and Power. So I market books. I, I uh, run workshops. I speak. I have... An event I'm speaking at later this afternoon, that's a virtual summit. I spoke at three last year, even during the pandemic. I have three live events that I'm part of in the rest of this year uh, with more on the way. So I speak, I invite, I meet people as often and as much as I can so that my, my goal is to help people understand who they really are. And what that means is it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what's happened to you in the past doesn't matter how late you think it is or how busted you think you are. The future is only an extension of the past if you let it, and you have the opportunity today to take control of the levers of your life. Mm. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. And I know you're going to be able to do it, man. I can feel it. You just have the the energy and and just, I don't know what it is. You're a very charismatic person, and I can see that. I can see the how people are attracted to you and your message and just just the way that you present yourself is is fantastic man I really do I do love the message and the positivity that you're bringing today. Well, just think about it for a minute. So the book I just finished Forgiveness there's two parts to that. One, all of us have had people who have hurt us, some a little and maybe some severely in an abusive or terrifying or you know bad way. And or we have people that we've hurt through carelessness or callousness or cruelty or whatever it is. If someone has hurt us, we have some choices. And the word forgiveness is always a loaded word because sometimes people think it means absolving someone of a mistake or a willful deed. 
Some people think it means pretending something didn't happen. Uh, it means none of those things. If, if someone has hurt me, it doesn't need to matter to me whether they have had, quote unquote, justice served on them or whether or not they even want it or care. Me choosing to forgive someone is an energetic stance that I take where I declare that that wound no longer has power over me in the present because I have allowed love to replace it. Not, okay, I'll just try and forget it or time heals. Forget that. It is an active choice to allow love to be my fuel instead of anger, fear, revenge, or negativity. And that frees me. We'll talk about the other side of the coin in a minute, but that frees me to then serve and love and do that because all the energy and space in my heart that's taken up by revenge, negativity, anger, hurt, fear, that just subtracts from my ability to do anything good. Now, if you go to the other side of the coin, which I lived on a lot, I hurt a lot of people. I told a lot of lies. I did a lot of bad things to people, hurt their confidence, betrayed their trust and everything else. So I lived under a mountain of debilitating self-loathing that was completely incapacitating. Now, my choice, and you referred to 12-step earlier, one of the steps in 12-step is making amends. Making or offering amends is not related to someone else's willingness to accept or allow those amends to mean anything. We do what we can. We change who we are, and then we choose to forgive ourselves, not to pretend we didn't do anything, or any of, not to excuse something, but because by doing that, we unlock our ability to love and serve. As long as I was carrying guilt and shame and negativity and self-loathing about all the awful things I'd done, I was powerless. I was powerless to love and serve anyone. And the kids of mine who accept what's changed, that's wonderful. And those that haven't, they will. I know there will come a day, but it isn't depending on me anymore. I have done what I can do, and it depends on their choice to do the growth and work in their own hearts. I love that you brought up step seven because that, that was always going through my head while you were speaking and I was going to bring that up ah. and you, and then you brought it up and you know, I had a, I had kind of a similar experience here recently where I ran into an old employer of mine while I was at my current job and I got to do an amends kind of an impromptu thing. He recognized me after a minute, like you could see the wheels turning where he was trying to figure out who I was. And, and then I, I, told he he remembered my name after a couple minutes and we we got to talking and you know I said you know I I did I did some wrong things to you while I was under your employment you know I took advantage of you and you know like I I it wasn't ever saying I'm sorry but it was here are the things that I did that were wrong and then you know we had gotten into the point of the conversation where I was like you know I just celebrated 7 years you know my life is completely different today and at the end of it 
we we hugged we took a picture together he sent it to his wife because i i know his wife as well and and it just ended really well and it was just like this weight was lifted off of me because there was something just like in the back of my mind because it's a customer that i have to go to about once a month i'm like i really hope i don't run into this guy what if he remembers me and then that happened and we had this whole beautiful moment where we were able to discuss what had happened 10 years ago and everything was everything's fine now and and here's the key you just unlock all that weight that's off your heart and your mind allows more space for love creativity service and good that you can do because that space that that fear and that weight was occupying in your heart and mind is now clear Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the crazy part. I don't know why it was taking up so much space because in my mind, it was like, it was one of the, the men's towards the bottom of the list because I didn't feel like I had done that much, you know, like trying to, I guess that was me trying to justify it or, or whatever, but it, it was still take, like you said, it was still taking up space in my mind. And then we were able to have that conversation and now that's gone. It's wonderful, and that is the blessing of forgiveness. And again, it has nothing to do with pretending away things or acting like they didn't happen. It's an energetic choice that we get to make that doesn't depend on someone else because he could have yelled at you and said, I never want to see you again, you rotten pig, you did this or that or whatever. But that would be his choice. It has nothing to do with your sobriety or the fact that you've changed your life or the fact that you're doing what you can to add good to the world with this podcast and other things, you could still make a choice to forgive yourself, whether that individual is at a place in their journey that they want to accept that or not. And I mistakenly kept that and will until somebody pats me on the head or the butt and says, oh, it's all good. I can't let that go. And that can be forever. And then you're turning your power, your light, your life, your gifts over to someone else. And that's not the design. Mm, yeah, that's a great point to make. And I think a lot of people get that confused. And, and in the beginning, I thought it was just about going in and saying, I'm so sorry I did this. You know, all it was was asking for, as long as they say they forgive me, I'm good. Like that was kind of the, the mindset that I thought of in the beginning. And I think it takes time to get to that place where we start to realize that it's about forgiving ourselves. And it's about, you know, it's about owning up to the mistakes that we've made and then whatever they do with it, whatever their reaction is, that's on them. I've done my part. Now it's up to them. How It doesn't matter how they react. And that's a difficult thing, especially when it's family or exes or mm-hmm. kids. Like, you know, that the fact that this is another place where Joy, my wife, Joy, <laughs> helped me a lot because uh, my, some of the kids who were angry uh, about me and who I'd been and everything else enjoyed continuing abusing me by blaming me vocally and violently, angrily and stuff like that for everything that was going wrong in their lives. When, you know, they're all in their thirties and forties and mid twenties, they could easily take control and go do whatever they want to do. But I used to keep allowing that. And then it would trash me for two or three days because one of those conversations and one of the things she helped me understand with the help of a shrink, because he just looked at me one day and he said, you know, you're, you're letting the abuse continue and it's limiting who you can be. And so that was a freeing thing. And it, it doesn't have anything to do with taking responsibility. It doesn't have anything to do with acknowledging what was wrong. It has to do with liberating the power that comes from change. Mm. 
Yes. Yes. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, Kellen, we're getting kind of towards the end of the time. I would love to give you an opportunity again to remind the listeners about your podcast, where they can find it. Um, if there's any other, any other platforms or accounts that you would like to promote. So uh, here's my easy thing. Uh, I'm here to serve your audience and to encourage them to love themselves, to live into their true potential and to just do whatever they have to do to be the best they can be. If you want to connect with me, it's really easy because when you have a weird name like Kellen Flukiger, you can't hide. So if you want to find me on Amazon, you can find all the books and the podcast. If you want to find me on Facebook or on LinkedIn or on YouTube, the only thing you have to do is spell my name right. Because there aren't any others except one in 8 billion people. And that one is my son. And you can see the difference. So if you want to connect, I'm inviting you to do that. The podcast is on all the podcast platforms. The books are all on Amazon. I have music and albums that I've done. They're all on Spotify. Any way you want to connect. And if you'd like to connect with me on one of the platforms, please do. The only requirement is spell my name right. And I can't hide. <laughs> that's awesome, man. And that's, that's, that is true about having a unique name. Like I don't, I don't have the most unique name. There are, there are several people with my name, so it's a little harder to find, but I, I guess you're right about the uniqueness of the, of the first and last name. Both are unique. Right. Well, that together, that makes it so that it's like alone. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today, Kellen, sharing part of your story with us. I love, I just love the outlook you have on life, the positivity, everything that you're trying to bring to people, help them unlock those different things, those invitations to change. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. And if I leave anything with your folks, listeners, it's no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened, you have two choices. You can continue to give those old events power to control your life today. Or you can declare your independence, even if you don't know exactly what to do, and fiercely take ownership of your future. Kellen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. I would encourage you guys to check out the links in the show notes if you'd like to find out more about Kellen's podcast or his books. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.